Good morning. Uh, my name is, is Brian, and uh, welcome to Highland Park. We're so glad that you are here with us. Just a couple of quick little housekeeping notes before we start. You may have noticed some yellow post-it notes that are probably either, uh, we put them on the, on, the, on the ends of every row, and you're going to need one later. Uh, not for a little while, but you're going to need one. Some of them are stuck to the back of the chair in front of you. If you can take those and just pass them down your row, either direction, um, and the only thing you need to know now is keep it for later and keep it sticky, okay? So if you're a fidgeter, you need to put it somewhere else so you don't get all the stickiness out of it, all right? That, that'll ruin everything, so, so don't do that. We don't want to ruin everything. Uh, also, it, uh, there's, there's a couple pins on every row. If you have a pin, that's great. You can share with somebody, but that will be valuable later on uh, as well. You may want to uh, take notes. We have a sermon page in there as well, and so um, uh, anyway, hopefully that will be helpful to you, and it's always my prayer that I can serve you well, and um, and I do want to do that uh, this morning uh, with God's help. And so let's just ask him uh, for help. Lord, we uh, come to you today. Um, and I, I know that there's nothing within me that I can say that's helpful, but there's much that you want to say to us. And so, Lord, we ask um, that you would speak through me. Lord, we, we ask for all of us that we would have ears ready to hear from you expecting to hear from you today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Farmers in the Midwest have been known that during the first sign of a blizzard to tie a rope between their back door and their barn. And the reason is that they have heard the stories. They've heard stories of farmers who actually froze to death through the night and they were only steps from their house. But because when a blizzard hits, sometimes you be become so disoriented when you're outside and you can't see anything that it's possible to die just a few feet from home. And during the next five weeks, as we talk about decluttering our souls, what we really also want to help you do is find your rope. Find the rope so that you know where home is, so that your soul can be clean, a clean soul is a healthy soul. When we catch sight of the soul, we can survive the blizzard without losing our hope. And Parker Palmer writes that the blizzard of the world is fear and fatigue and frenzy and chaos and deceit and greed and apathy towards truth and indifference to the suffering. All of these things can clutter the soul. I was thinking about what a blizzard is. A blizzard is really just cluttered snowflakes. I mean, a snowflake is beautiful, but when there are too many of them and you throw in a little bit of wind, they can become deadly. You see, you have an outward persona, but you also have a private inner core. And I really don't know what all is happening to you. I may have some guesses and we may have some guesses, but you probably sense it, but only God knows it best. And when there's inner chaos, then there is not peace of the soul. Abraham Lincoln was a brilliant lawyer before he became president. Uh, but one thing that hindered him sometimes was his disorganization. And he actually had a folder. And you're going to laugh because some of you probably have a folder or a drawer or something like this. But he had a folder that actually was labeled, if you can't find it anywhere else, look here. And he would just stuff all kinds of stuff in there. And uh, some of us are like that, but when our soul becomes like that, so cluttered 
that we can't find what is important, it's pretty dangerous. And you know your soul has become too cluttered when you begin to believe all of the lies. There's lots of lies that we can tell ourselves to try to cover up a cluttered, disoriented soul. Lies such as, I can spend without getting into debt. I can lie without getting caught. I can let my temper fly without damaging my relationships. I can have a bad attitude at work and get away with it. I can avoid disciplining my children without their getting spoiled. I can neglect the Bible and still know God. I'm so thankful that you are here today and we get to kind of dive into this. And I'm going to warn you that for the next couple of moments, I might disorient you just a little bit. Because as I have studied this, I realized there was so much that I did not know. I mean, we throw around the word soul all the time. Yet when I began asking people several months ago, when I knew we were going to hit this series, what is the soul? People really struggled for an answer. And I'm, I'm with you. And so I, I want you to think of the soul as more than just the Bugs Bunny cartoon where, you know, Daffy Duck gets hit in the head and you see his little ghost kind of rise up from his body. And sometimes that's how we would think of the soul. And the Bible has a much larger picture than that. And so I, I want to try to ex- give you a little diagram to think about. And if you're a note taker, this is where you might want to write down. And I'm going to have pictures up here on the screen to help you. But when you think about the inner layer, the first circle of your soul, I want you to think about your will, your spirit. It's where desire comes from, where motivation comes from. And it influences everything else in your life. When we give our lives to Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes in and reorders our will, our spirit, our motivations, our desires. But that's the inner core, the spirit. The the Bible uses that word spirit a lot and even has the the idea of wind, of, of the Holy Spirit blowing in through us and out of us and around us. And then that this next layer is the mind that next circle. And when the ancient culture thought of the word mind, they actually thought of the intellect and the emotions together. We tend to separate those two, and we talk about the heart and the mind. Um, But uh, the the ancient cultures, and when the Bible was written, um, would maybe put those things together. When you think about it, your emotions, we know this, don't actually come from the, the organ beating in our chest. They're in our mind as well. And so when you think of the mind, think of, uh, of the feelings and the intellect and all of that together, the emotions and the intellectual and, and how you feel about things and how, what you think about things is determined by your will, by the spirit within you that motivates you and tells you to do certain things or to want certain things or to dislike certain things. And then this third layer, this third sphere around is the body because we are in a vessel, aren't we? And some of you over Christmas break maybe even quoted uh, the scripture, the, the spirit is willing, but man, that cheesecake looks good and the flesh is weak, right? We even know that there's this difference between our spirit and our flesh, our body. And if you remove yourself from God, then you might just say we're just a lump of DNA. But the Bible teaches differently than that, that Um, There's more to us than just the body, but our body does what our mind tells it to do, which is motivated by our will and our spirit. Sometimes our body doesn't do what we want it to do, and that's really frustrating, isn't it? 
Then there's this other layer, and I just wrote the word social, because every one of you is deeply impacted by your relationships. And I, I, I probably don't have to prove this point very much. If you just think about it, if you have a really important relationship that's gone south, and I say, are you okay? What do you say? No. Well, why not? Because you are partially made up of the relationships that you have. Most importantly, the relationship with God, but also relationship with each other. And those relationships form us. They're part of who we are. And when they are good, we as a whole person are better. And when they're bad, we as a whole person are struggling. And then there's this final layer and uh, and that's just the word soul. So when we talk about soul for the next five weeks, I'm talking about you. In fact, that's how the Bible writes the word soul most often. It is you, all of you. Everything that makes up you is your soul. And there will be some times where you'll be like, does that always work out every time or have I ever thought about it differently? And that's okay. Um, but think about you as your soul, as uh, the full force of your life, all that you are. And as I was studying scripture and saying, well, this is how the Bible really defines soul, I began to realize this is kind of how we actually define souls too, without even really thinking about it. Our culture, imagine a news anchor saying, tragically, flight 305 went down. 234 souls were on that plane, right? That's normal English language. Why did they say the word soul? Because they realized it's more than just a body, but it's a soul. It's the, the emotions and the intellect and everything that made up that person. And so that's how we're going to begin. And next week, we're going to spend a lot more time just talking about that outer rim, the soul, and then how it goes deep within us. And this morning, we're going to kind of give most of our focus to that inner core, the spirit and the heart and the will. And if there's one thing that often shows where that inner core of us is, it's within the realm of finances. There was once a rich guy who went and he found Jesus. And if you looked at him from the outside, everything looked good. Looked like a good guy. Looked like he was doing the right things. He followed the laws. Everything seemed fine. But he sensed deep within him that something wasn't quite right, that, that not everything was together. Something in his soul was off balance. And when Jesus saw him, Jesus knew something. Jesus was able to diagnose, I know what the deal is. I know what the problem is. I know why you feel a little out of whack here, a little off kilter. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 10. And I want to read this scripture to us. Mark chapter 10, and I'm going to begin in verse 17. The scripture will also be on the screen here. This is an important time uh, in Jesus' life and that we see somebody who had a soul that was a little bit messed up. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud, honor, and honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him 
and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Jesus knew this was the one thing that this guy had greed in his life, that riches had become his idol. That was the core of him. If we were to put the circles around him, wealth would have been the inner core. It's what motivated his thoughts and feelings and his body and his social interactions. And thus his soul was broken. Something wasn't right. And Jesus knew it. And he said, I know how to fix your soul. We're going to get rid of that idol. We're going to toss it out and see then how you can be whole. Verse 22 says, at this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. It's a tragic story of a man who lost his soul because his spirit, because his will was out of order, because he had given it to something besides Jesus. You see, your soul is sticky. It's kind of like Velcro. And uh, when your will desires different things, like I, I really want that car, or I just really need a little bit more money, or I really need a little bit more stuff and more things or different clothes, and I'm going to chase that. Or if only I had more friends, or I was a little more popular, or, or if I had this or this or this or this, the things that we want end up kind of sticking to our soul, and life becomes very cluttered. Whereas Jesus says, hey, I know how to fix it. It's not that hard. You just get rid of all that stuff that's cluttering it up. I can't give it up. Why? Because we've replaced the deepest, the inmost part of us, our will, our spirit, with something that is selfish instead of something that honors God. It's only when the Holy Spirit enters and we ask him to keep decluttering that our soul can stay clean. There's a big difference between self and the soul. They don't say, 250 souls were killed on the plane that went down. They say souls, but we intuitively recognize that our soul is bigger than just self. Self is just kind of me. It would be like one circle, self, me, that's it, nothing else. DNA, that's all. And I'll die and that'll be it. And there's nothing more to me and there's nothing beyond me. It's just me. Former opera singer Scott Flaherty said, when you sing, you're giving voice to your soul. See, the good music has soul in it, doesn't it? Because it comes from deep within. But imagine singing, then sings myself, my Savior God to me, or Jesus, lover of myself, or it is well with myself. It's just kind of shallow feeling, isn't it? Because the self is different than the soul, and to focus on my soul means to look at my life under the care and connection of God, but to focus on myself apart from God means losing awareness of what matters most. We've got a table up here with some stuff on it. And here's what the average American does when it comes to finances. And we're going to use that example a lot today because it kind of helps us get there. But see, we've got this giving, and we know that giving is pretty important. And we've got this saving, and we know the saving is, is pretty important too. I feel like I'm in the shadows up here. Am I in the shadows? Can you see me? Can you guys flick on a little light back here? That would be great. And what we typically do 
is instead of ordering these things first, what do we do? We say, man, I really, this is, this is my life right here. This table is my life. And I really have to pay for my house, right? I got I to gotta do that. Sure. But I, I also really like this, and I, I need to pay for that and, and all these utilities and other things. And um, what I really need are um, some new shoes really bad, and, and, and I need that, and I really like that. And, and I also, gosh, I, I also really would like to have uh, that, that better car. It's a lot better car than I've got, and it looks nicer, and I'll be more respected. And, and, um, and I, I, really, I really wanted to go on that vacation and we just kind of end up kind of stacking stuff. And, and then, man, I don't have any room for these. And you know what happens when we don't give and we don't save? We feel bad, don't we? We know we're, we know we're better off when we do. And we feel kind of guilty. We feel a little shame. We feel stressed out. We feel anxious. We feel like, Life is not as it should be. See, our soul is saying, something's not quite right. Something's not quite right. Something's not quite right. And then relationships can be pretty tough when this is the way because we're fighting about what should be here and what should not be here. And it just gets pretty rough. Jesus had some memorable words about the soul. He said, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? See, Jesus is not just talking about final destination. He's not just saying, hey, what would it profit you if you went and lived it all up and had a million dollars and then went to hell? I mean, that, that could be a reality. But Jesus is also saying that even like right now, your soul could be completely forfeited, even while you're still on this earth. The, the rich man walked away with a forfeited soul. And that's going to impact his eternity, too. We don't know the rest of his life. But it was even impacting him right then. He knew his soul was forfeited. He knew his soul was broken. Things were not as they should be. To lose my soul means I no longer have a healthy center that organizes and guides me. There was a big study a college did, and they tried to find the 10 happiest jobs where if you worked there, you were the happiest, and the 10 jobs that were the unhappiest. And they did this big, extensive study, and when they came back, they found out that the 10 unhappiest jobs paid better than the 10 happiest jobs. Did I say that right? Are you with me? And, and so are, are you surprised by that? Or are you kind of like, yeah, I could kind of see that. If you've ever been in a place where there was so much pressure and it was all about self, then you realize, ah, oh, I'm not so happy. And what they realized was if people were contributing to something that they realized this can help people, whether it's um, collecting the trash or delivering the mail um, or working for a company that has some values and is providing a good service. And if, and if you're serving your employees and you're caring about the other people around you, then you feel like your work is meaningful and you're happy. But if all of it is about more paycheck, bigger paycheck, bigger paycheck, make us rich, 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 more, 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 then those people were pretty miserable. See, the main thing you bring home from your work is not your paycheck, it's your soul. Everybody comes home with one of those. 
And sometimes it can be broken. Work, of, work is a soul function. We were made to create value for our world. And the writer of Ecclesiastes says, there is nothing better for a person than that he should make his soul enjoy good in his work. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. There was a professor lovingly known as Dr. B. And Dr. B always walked from his house to the college campus where he taught. And it was a little walk. And one day he realized that there was a new sign that had been put up in the neighborhood. And it was a beautiful sign. And he was kind of an artsy guy. And he, he just walked by it and just stopped and looked at it and thought, man, that is the most beautiful sign I've ever seen. And he went on with the rest of his day. And on his way back home uh, late that afternoon, he walked by the sign again. He thought, man, that is such a beautiful sign. And he thought about it so much that he was excited to go to work the next morning because he knew he'd get to walk by the sign again. That was so beautiful and had been so tastefully done. And, and that morning, sure enough, he was happy to go and he was walking. He couldn't wait till he got, got there to, to see the sign and he appreciated it and kind of took that joy with him. And as the days went on, it hit him that one day he was no longer enjoying and admiring the sign. And you know why? Because he had begun to want one himself. If I could have a sign like that, in front of my house or in front of our college or in front of our church. I wish we had a sign like that. And it began every time he walked by the sign from then on, he was bitter and he was jealous. And he didn't even want to walk that way anymore because he knew he would see that beautiful sign and he knew he would want it and he knew he did not have it. And he confessed this to his wife one day and she said, honey, you need to learn to admire without the need to acquire. That's a good one, isn't it? You need to learn to admire without the need to acquire, to see something nice and be like, oh, that's nice. I don't have to have it. I'm still a valuable human being on this planet. I'm okay if I don't have one. I'm thankful that they do, and that's great for them, but I don't have to have the need for that because our priorities have changed a little bit. The Bible is such a beautiful resource for every bit of our lives. I so believe that. And every time I read the Bible, I, I learn and I'm, I'm humbled that I always see stuff in the Bible that I've missed before. Does anybody else read the Bible that way? You're like, how have I never seen that? But one of the beautiful things about the Bible is that it gives us these principles in which we can live our lives. And think about if we were to do our finances a different way, the Bible way. What if instead of spending all of the stuff that we need or want just in life, what if instead we did the biblical plan, which is pretty simple. The biblical plan is give first. You give first. That means when you get that monthly paycheck or that weekly paycheck or however that works or a quarterly payment of something, then, okay, the very first, our first thing that we want to do, not that we have to do it, not that, not that this is our way to get into heaven, it's not, but we want to, and this is God's guideline that we recognize is beautiful for us, to give first. So the first portion of the paycheck, the first portion, kids, of the allowance or the chore money, you can't start too young with this. The, the first portion of whatever you have is to give. 
and maybe you're in a beautiful routine and maybe your finances are kind of shaky and they, and they come and go, but if you could just be in the habit of giving first, the Bible says to give of the first fruits. And so when they were out harvesting, they could actually see it. You know, sometimes when we do everything electronically, it's a little bit harder to see that, but to, to actually carry in the basket of crops and say, here's the first for you. Now I'm going to go back and load up the next basket. And that's a beautiful thing to give first. The Bible says you're more blessed to give than to receive. And over the Christmas time, you're usually reminded of that. It's often more fun to watch others open the gift that you have given to them than to open one yourself because it's a beautiful thing to give. And the next thing is to save. If we give first and we save next, Americans are not good at saving. I've read uh, studies about how little most people have saved and most people have tons more debt than they have saved and there's all of this chaos and our souls pay the price for that because we're living with stress and anxiety. But, but what if a, a fifth grader who gets $10 for doing the chores took a dollar to give and a dollar to save and $8 or the, the rest, $8 to figure out, okay, do I want to buy my friend a gift for his birthday party or do I want to save up um, for something later on um, or a shirt that I like? What if a kid started living like that and never changed, even when the $10 turned into $100 with the mowing job and $1,000 with the McDonald's job and the $10,000 with the bank job and the $100,000? Who, if you just add as many zeros as you want, and maybe the percentages change because they're like, whoa, I can give way more than 10% now, and this is beautiful. I I don't need to change the other stuff, but what if we did give, save, and I still need to make this payment, and I really want to go see my family who lives out of state, and I want to save up for that trip, um, but my new shoes, I guess I can't buy those yet, and that, that, that new car I wanted I guess I can't buy that quite yet either. I'll keep saving until I'm ready for that. What if we did that? Suddenly, it would bring all of this clarity. And we, can we go through life without the new shoes or without the fanciest car? Sure, we can. Do our souls feel at rest? Yes. Do our souls feel at rest when we're juggling all these things and pay, buying stuff that we can't pay for? And we're neglecting the things that God says, do this, and it is good for you. Oh, then our souls can be at rest. Give first. Save next. Live off the rest. It's a really simple Bible principle, and I want to encourage you to do it. And think about what would happen in your family if every one of you practiced this. Would marriages be better? Would families be better? Would communities be better? Would your heart feel more at peace would you sleep a little bit better? See, God doesn't say this to say, ha ha, see, now you got to do this. God says, I love you and I want you to do this because it will be good for you because God is wise. He created us. And what would happen to churches if every church member lived this way? Healthier people, healthier budgets, more ministry opportunities, 
we're going to share some of those dreams with you in a while of what would happen. What would happen if everyone lived like this and, and instead of a stewardship team meeting where we thought, Ugh, we're a little short this month, we were like, whoa, what will we do with the extra? Who can, whom can we bless? And how are your finances? Do they reflect what you want them, what your heart to reflect? Does it, does it reflect that accurately? How's your stuff? How's your closet? How's your will? Do those things reflect the principles of God? And if not, this week we want to challenge you to begin decluttering. So we're going to do something for the next five weeks that I think and hope, pray, will be meaningful for us. First of all, we're going to offer a declutter challenge every week. And this is a challenge that we want to ask everyone to keep. Everyone who's sitting here today, we want to ask you to do this and just to see what happens. And this challenge may surprise you, but here's what it is. Practice radical gratitude by spending five minutes each morning thanking God. That's where it begins. Five minutes is all we're asking for of just thanking God. You may want to write that down. You may want to do that with friends or family. You may want to do that by yourself and just quietly. Uh, you may want to do that when you first get to the office and close the door or before you have breakfast. When, five minutes in the morning, giving God thanks, listing things, telling him thanks, singing thanks to him, however you best express that. And then the rest of the day, the challenge is to begin every single conversation with gratitude. That's going to be tough, right? That means we don't start the conversation with, man, that guy was a real jerk to me. Or can you believe the traffic? Or, oh, I'm just so busy and tired. None of those things reflect gratitude, do they? So we're going to challenge each other. And I guarantee you, if you're around me, you'll have chances to lovingly correct me when I don't do that. But every conversation to try to begin with gratitude of, oh, I'm thankful to see you today. It's good to be alive today. I'm thankful for all in my life today. How are you? To, just being grateful in life. Okay, we got it. That's the big challenge we all have. Five minutes in the morning, being grateful. And then throughout the day, every single conversation, we begin with gratitude. If we do that, I believe what will happen is it's kind of like knocking everything off that table. We start with gratitude towards God, and then everything else kind of falls into place a little bit. Life becomes a little bit more clear, and hopefully our heart aligns with how we're supposed to be instead of having this greed and this desire to get stuff or to think about what other people have or even to get us beyond some of the laziness that brings us to not being disciplined in our lives that bring about an unrestful soul. So that's the declutter challenge this week. But there's a secondary thing that we want to ask you to do. See, we know that when life is not in order and every soul is kind of like a garden, God makes things grow, but he asks us to be the caretaker of our soul. And so God says, you need to pull out some weeds. And we want you to pull out some weeds every week. And this is where the sticky notes come in. I want to give you three options for a challenge this week. Three steps, really simple ones. Um, really practical ones. And you may think of something different, and that's fine. You can add to this list. But here's three ideas. Maybe one of these is right for you. Number one, redo your budget so you give first. Just that simple. Start there. You look at your budget and say, okay, we're redoing it. We're reshuffling it. 
starting this month, starting right now, that we're going to give first, and so some other stuff may have to slide off the table. The, the second step that you may need to consider is to register for Financial Peace University. And maybe you just need a practical tool to help you get organized in your financial life. And if you have not done it on your own so far, you probably need one, okay? So be okay saying, I want to sign up for this class. We're going to tell you more about that. There's a thing in your bulletin. But it's just a practical tool to help you get organized there. The third idea is to give away 10 items from your home. Maybe you need to add a zero to that. I don't know. But some of us have way too much stuff. And it says something about us. And it brings some stress to our life. And we just need to get rid of some stuff, not just to even get rid of it, but to maybe even help somebody else and to give it away. And that would be great things. Maybe there's some other ideas. But what we would like you to do is I'm going to give you uh, a little more than 60 seconds here. And if you need to set your alarm on your phone to go off tomorrow morning and every morning to remind you to give thanks, do that. If you need to get a reminder, that's fine. And then on that sticky note... Would you pick one of those three things or something else that will help declutter your life, to declutter your soul? Would you pick one of those things and write it on your sticky note, whatever it might be, and then before you leave today, you're going to stick it on this chalkboard over here. And by the time we're done with five weeks, I expect that board to be full of things that have been decluttered from our collective soul. Won't that be cool to see of all the things that we did to try to declutter our souls so we could better know God. So I'm going to give you 60 seconds here just to think how God is leading you so that you can do the work that he's called you to do so that you can align everything about your soul first to him. The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. You are a soul. You're way more than just a self, way more than a body, way more than just a thought. But God made you, and he loves you, and he gave you this beautiful 
thing called a soul, your life. And he wants it to be in order and at peace with him and at peace with others and whole in this life, perfected in the life to come. The soul is your life. And I want you to care for it and allow God to change it. And if you would want to pray with somebody about your soul or giving your soul to Jesus, then we'll have some folks up on the front rows who'd be glad to pray with you or talk with you. And if you would, would you stand and let me pray for us. God, we thank you for how you want to reorder our souls to take them from selfish and broken and disordered to whole. And there's a lot of things that can clutter, clutter us up and we want to uh, just say, yes, God, declutter our souls, make them pure and clean and in the order that you want them so that we can be whole. In Jesus' name, amen.